0: It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast or your
2: favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all, and therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy
3: is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at betterhelp.com
0: slash pause for 10% off your first month.
2: Acast makes it easy for any business to browse and buy host-read podcast sponsorships through our self-serve ad platform. With over 100,000 shows on our network, we have podcasters that speak to every type of audience, from huge names like Mark Marin and Brooke DeVard to niche shows with hyper-engaged listeners. Discover the largest podcast influencer marketplace and pick the perfect voices for your brand to start seeing the results of truly authentic influencer marketing. Head over to go.acast.com/sponsorships to launch your campaign. Jonathan Pierce. Eric
0: Kendler has jumped in and seen a kung fu kick. Terry Alderton. Do you like shoes, madam? And friends. <laughs> JP the mad of genius! and T. Good to meet you, love. The football friendly.
4: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode five of JP and T, the football friendly. How are you doing, Terry? What have you been up to?
1: I'm very good. Um, did a few gigs. Walked around with pants crying. Um, Watched a lot of football the weekend. Lots of football, and I've had enough of VAR. I mean, every season I say it. Don't mind the goal line technology. But the VAR thing, after last week with the hair pulling and all that, but I know we've got lots to talk about on that, so...
4: Well, I was at uh, Crystal Palace Aston Villa on Saturday, and I couldn't believe the two VAR decisions. Ridiculous! I just said the the the, the whole spirit of the game has been infringed here. the 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 offside goal he was deemed offside by his elbow because his elbow had dipped. His, sorry, his shoulder had dipped beyond mm-hmm. Tyrone Mings, and I I doubt there's technology alive that can actually pinpoint the the very very second the pass leaves the boot. Well the to thing judge is that is, finally if
1: you're leaning forward as a player as well you know you uh, w- w- when do we stop that momentum of moving a player forward I think what we should do is just ban off sides. that would be a much more fun <laughs> game just get rid of it and just have put everyone on the line
4: and the handball the handball given against Luca Genia was well, absolutely ball, really. ridiculous
1: because i mean it, it,
4: He's, he's not trying to, to stop the ball going goalwards. In fact, no. that's what that's what the VAR... We get a feed of the VAR, Terry. And he said to the referee, you'll see that uh, Luka Dina stops the ball going towards the goal with his hand. His hand is above shoulder height. A, his hand wasn't above shoulder height. And B, the goalkeepers had to make a save because the ball was going goalwards. So it was... Well, a he was
1: nonsense. taking off, wasn't he? He was taking off yeah. and naturally lifting his arms up. You know, and then
4: I, I did West Ham against uh, Brighton. Um where uh, Brighton were very very good and West Ham United were shabby and I think one or two are probably still living on last season's success last season's uh, gone finished gone yeah we are going about go that on.
1: I, that that I I got to be honest with you West Ham are looking they're looking weak um you know and the other thing it's the passion of the West Ham fans we know what's going to happen next i hope
4: that's they don't to turn get on difficult David Moyes. I well I hope, that's how, I hope they don't but you you know what it's like and then and then last night I did an incredible game um at BT I did um uh, Paris Saint-Germain at Lille they won 7-1 and uh with me in the commentary box was a man who knows about scoring goals a little bit. Uh his name <laughs> is Clive Allen. Uh, he <laughs> joins us today and and welcome Clive. Good morning. 8 seconds. We were waiting 8 seconds and we saw a goal by Kylian Mbappé. It was it was unbelievable, wasn't it?
5: Oh, Jonathan, it was sensational. I know I know you've seen a, a, a number of quick goals and was scouring back through your records, but um this was, this was quite something. But they went on to perform in, a, in an incredible way throughout the game. Um, it was breathtaking to watch. Thoroughly enjoyable. Um, not sure there's anybody that are going to be able to stay with them this season.
4: They say that Mbappe and Kili and uh, and uh, Neymar don't get on. There's been bust-ups. But we, we didn't see any evidence of that last night. There was a joyous, joyous. coming together.
5: Oh, they, they were amazing. They're the telepathic at times. I think great appreciation for each other's ability um, and, and, and some some of the quality, obviously, uh, there was a little magic man called Messi as well that, was, uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that joined the party that was unbelievable. I've got to say, everyone's saying that, you know, his time's done, he's not at his best. He perhaps wasn't last season when joining PSG. But at the start of this, Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, uh, there's not a better three in the world at the moment.
1: What is the feud about? Does do we know what were the uh, so-called hatred between the two?
4: Well, the two big egos. And last week there was a penalty. Mbappe took it. He was saved. Then there was another penalty. Oh. He went to take it, and Neymar had the ball. And he, and then there, and then Neymar retweeted and liked a, a tweet that said, "Is Mbappe in control of PSG?" And the manager's uh, knocked the rumours down that there's there's a there's a bitching going on between the two of them. But, uh, look. It, although I have to say, um, before we go on to your guest uh, Terry today, Clive, when when Mbappe pitched up at Lille yesterday, he d- he, d- he didn't look greatly interested, did he? When he first got there,
5: oh, his body language was 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 not positive. But um, I tell you what, what a start! Once uh, once he scored that goal in eight seconds, he was electric. And um, listen, I mean, he, he, I I played in teams where everywhere I played, I wanted to take penalty kicks. You you asked Peter Reid at Man City when he was player coach there. I came on a sub and um, uh, there was a penalty kick given and there was only one person who was taking it. I was brought down. I picked the ball up. Mm. Reedy was looking at me and he knew that I wasn't the designated penalty taker. But um, you know, I, I I took it. I stepped up and took it and scored. And uh, you know that happens all the time. There's players all the time that, that that will step up and take penalties. And it's for obviously for the manager to decide. And and it's part and parcel of the game. That goes back to
1: schoolboy days, though, doesn't it? When you when of you're going, right, give me the ball. It's my I'm I'm taking it. I got hacked. I mean, let's go back to when you were, like five or six. That does. I mean, that's that's what it is, isn't it? Well, Can I just bring my guest in? Yes. Probably? Is that all right, Clive? Sorry to bug you. Absolutely. It's
4: a massive Tottenham Arsenal start to the season, Terry. You've got an Arsenal man with
1: you. I've got an Arsenal man. I've got a a really old friend I haven't seen in a while. He's a a brilliant comedian. He's a good looking boy as well, which is so annoying. And he's got (laughs) hair. He's got hair that you wouldn't want in a penalty box after last week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: exactly.
1: It's a brilliant Johnny Cochran. He's he's not. He didn't look before. Let's get on the OJ thing straight away. He never represented OJ. He's sick of that. So that's that done. (laughs) And he also has a fantastic podcast. It's the Arsenal opinion and uh, he's joining us today on our podcast. So welcome Johnny Cochran.
3: Thank you Terry. Thanks for the kind introduction and yes absolutely I'm doing it for all my brothers with long curly hair. Cookerella was abused at that (laughs) that last game with Tottenham and and we are standing up and we're saying listen we are not going to have it. Um, Yeah I'm really pleased to be on the podcast and even with you know a Tottenham legend on the pod as well, yeah. uh, you eighty-four know. goals,
1: one hundred and thirty-five games.
3: Exactly, but I'm feeling bullish right now. Hello. If there's <laughs> one team that can talk to anyone right now, it's <laughs> Arsenal Football Club. And uh, yeah, you wow. know, my feathers are, are puffed out, and I'm and I'm very much peacocking. Looking right at now.
1: It, looking at at the moment, it could be for the first time in a long time, this this season's battle could be Arsenal Tottenham for the top. I mean, whisper
3: it quietly, whisper it quietly. Could you imagine that would be the mother of all NLDs this year? But I tell you what, I mean, either way, we have started in scintillating form and we are really, really um, set up for a fantastic season. I can't wait.
4: We're, we're waving because we can see Clive on our screen. Yeah, He's we're just waving. People can't see that, but we are
3: waving. But because it, Clive, it, Clive,
1: it, Clive, popped up, Clive popped up in his car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, I'm here, I'm back.
5: <laughs> you're
4: in your car because you're on the your way to an LMA golf day, aren't you? We have to say that. the league I
5: am, yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, big, big golf day at the Grove, which, um, which I'm looking forward to. So, um, yeah, sorry that I'm in the car, but That's looking fine. forward to uh, chatting to you
1: guys. And Just go, uh, sorry, sorry, Jonathan. You, know, you go on, Joe. I was going to say, so, look, as we got Arsenal and the Tottenham legend, that is Clive Allen. What do you boys think on the fact that this could be... This could be the first season in many, many years that it is between Tottenham and Arsenal at the top.
5: Both bring in players I'm sure that they, they wanted. Both managers have, have been given the chance now to... Obviously, you look at Arteta, the players that went out. You look at Conte, the players that have come in. The business that Tottenham done early in the transfer window which uh, is very, very uh, has been unusual over the years. So Daniel Levy's Daniel Levy's back to Conte, and now it's for him to uh, to to produce a squad and a team that are going to be competitive at the top of the league. And I think both
4: teams are, both squads are looking very, very strong. Johnny, one thing I'd say to you though, who who have Arsenal beaten so far?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be the moment we saw the uh, fixture uh, layout. We were always starting with a little bit more of an easier lead-in, but. The difference is is it's how we've set about our games. And I, I would push back a little bit on the fact that going to Sellers Park has proved a very difficult ground to go to for Arsenal in particular. And most most of the big teams, I think City got beaten there last year. Liverpool have had historical issues going to Sellers Park. So to come away with, yeah, you know, it was a, a little bit of a nip and tuck game, but I think we, it was a well-deserved win in the end. Um and, you know, even if you look at us on the weekend, it's it's not just like beating a Bournemouth team who you'd somewhat expect to beat. It's the way that we're setting about our task these days. We look like we're ready to start bullying teams again, which is what I'm here for. It's the only bullying I do endorse. Arsenal bullying other teams. and I think, um, I think Jesus
1: could be the most genius signing uh, of Arsenal's whole entire history.
3: Well, well, one of the things I've said, I was on Five Live on the weekend, and I mentioned it. It Hold was. On, I just picked that up for you. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, thank you. Cheers. Cherry picked, and I'll I'll plug myself. But no, um, yeah. Look, the, the the what I was saying was, we there there was a kind of a pro and a con when it came to giving Arteta his uh, first job in management. He was a novice manager who was always going to be learning on the job, and and we've had some of the negative aspects of that. Certainly, some mistakes that more experienced managers, or indeed Arteta at this stage, wouldn't really be making, we've had to endure. However, one of the pros is that we took a manager from a a world-class Man City side, who has been able to leverage those relationships that he had with players like Jesus and um, Zinchenko, and there was also rumours about Sane, for instance, and he's been able to sign players that really have no right in signing for Arsenal, who are out of the Champions League, But without a shadow of a doubt, those pre-existing relationships with Arteta, that trust that he's built up, has led to us being able to sign players who are kind of above our pay grade right now, but are going to be future-proof and ready to be able to not just help us get to the top four, but potentially if we
4: go on to challenge for the league title. It's the same story, Clive, isn't it, with Conte, really? The fact that there's a manager of such pedigree there that footballers trust, that football agents trust, that he's been able to... To improve that squad with the players he's brought in at Tottenham Hotspur,
5: without doubt, Jonathan, I think that um, you know he, he's going to do it his way, um, and and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, he would have had some 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 pretty serious meetings with Daniel Levy, saying what what he needed. Having analysed the the squad, there were it was evident last season on a few occasions where he, he, he felt that he, he didn't have depth, he didn't have options off the bench. He didn't have the competition that he needed to, for, to make Spurs competitive. Um, he, he, it's been addressed. I think there's competition for, for places in every department. And um, all of a sudden, there's, there's, there's just a belief. We haven't played well. Chelsea were fortunate to get um, the point we got against Wolves at the weekend. And for an hour, we're sluggish. But a finishing game's strong. I think um, you know there's, there's an emphasis on, on the way that he works, the way that he drills the team. Um, the response that he has, and the belief that the players you can see have in him because of because of his track record.
4: And Johnny, you could have had Clive Allen. You know that, don't you? You could have, <laughs> Arsenal could have had Clive Allen. They started with Clive they, Allen, didn't they? They had me. They had me. They had him at the beginning,
3: Jonathan. didn't they? Um, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, in three days, I was an Arsenal player. <laughs> it's to be honest, we are a club that have more of our nearly men advertised than any. I mean, Arsene Wenger's nearly signed 11 or, you know, <laughs> potentially nearly played for us for longer like yourself, Clive, could go up there right. against anyone. He's always talking about Yaya Toure nearly, nearly got Ronaldo, nearly got Ibrahimovic. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of... Um, uh, nearly men, when it comes to Arsenal. Nearly won the Premier League. <laughs> listen, listen they, 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 made, they made me the first
5: million pound transfer for a teenager in 1980. And the front page of the Sun newspaper said, the game's gone crazy. So <laughs> oh, now, brilliant.
4: Now Killian Mbappe
5: gets a million pound a week. That's right.
4: <laughs> you, you play, Unbelievable. You, you played three pre season friendlies, didn't you? And then they, they, they wanted Kenny Sansom in place of you, and you went off to Palace. That's right. That's right. It?
5: Yeah, Terry Venables, yeah. manager of Palace, wanted me. The only way he would trade is if uh, I went to Palace, and, and Arsenal acquired Kenny, who was it was magnificent, absolutely sensational left back. But Arsenal's priority was a left back, and the only way they could do that, Sammy Nelson had injured his knee. Kenny Sanson was the the young, up and coming left back talent in the country, and uh, Arsenal traded me for Kenny. So um, yeah, the rest is history.
4: I'll tell you a little bit of history, boys, uh, Johnny mm. and Terry. You might not remember this. Clive will. In that year, he was at Palace. They went down the relegation. He was their top scorer. But we talked about VAR earlier on. If there'd be mm. VAR on September the 6th, 1980, a famous goal incident right. would have changed. Tell us about it, Clive.
5: Yeah, we were playing away at Coventry. We were on a really bad run. We were right at the bottom of the league. And um, you... Guys, look it up, YouTube it. It's a free kick. I won the free kick. I took the free kick. As you do penalties, when you win a free kick, you take them. And um, I, 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 in my whole career, I never struck a better free kick, which come flying back off the, the stanchion, the iron bar at the back of the goal that held the net up, back into play, was hooked away, and the referee waved play on. <laughs> um, i never forget um, Vince Ilea, really talented winger, on the right-hand side, right by the dugouts, Came running across the pitch. He said, "Don't worry, lads. Don't worry, lads." Venice has said the game's going to be replayed. The game's going to be replayed. Mm-hmm. We'll get it replayed because it was a goal and it wasn't allowed. It was a. It was. It was the goal that I, that was never given uh, that I never had. And the story I always remember. Jimmy Hill, who was uh, BBC Match of the Day that night, interviewed me. I was 18, and he said to me. Uh, he said to a young Mr. Clive Allen. He said, um, "Well, sometimes he said." you have to abide by the referee's decisions. And I was 18, one of the first times I'd really done an interview live on television or on the mat, on on Match of the Day. And I said, "Mr Hill, I said I get paid to score goals." And you know what? I know when I score a goal, and that was a goal. And on the Monday morning, the Daily Mirror had a freeze-frame photo on the back of the pa- pa- back page of the newspaper with the ball nestling against the stanchion before it came flying back out into play. It was the goal that never was. We never recovered from that and were relegated about four or five games
1: later. I remember the days when the ball would actually sometimes get in between that little D thing that held the net up. I think that's probably why they got rid of that in the end because of you, Clive. They might have got rid of that. Said we have to have a whole square goal now.
5: That's right. Yeah, well, they did. They then had to tie the the nets back rather than having anything that the ball could actually uh, ricochet back off. So, uh, Mm. yeah, part of history again.
3: It would have been interesting to see the, like, goal line technology, like, you know, where they mock it up in, like, visual, you know, the, the computer graphics and see the ball go in and go, yeah, it was over the line, and then it bounced back out. And then, <laughs> it, you know, you get to see <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. But no, it, it, that, that is, that's scandalous. And to be fair, as much as some, a lot of people complain about some of the new advents of technology introduced into the game, there are certain things where I'm like, I just don't know how anyone can complain about it. When it comes down to whether or not a goal was scored, these are the kinds of things that, thank goodness, we don't have to deal with that anymore, where there are like blatant goals that have gone in and aren't given because of human error. I mean, that that's not part of the game. It, it, it was uh, something holding the game back and I'm pleased that... I agree with that totally,
1: but I, I,
5: I, 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 I totally I, agree with that as well. I think that it's definitive, you know it's across the line or not and we can get it to obviously within a millimetre now. Absolutely, absolutely right. But, but as uh, uh, and we can open up a can of worms with VAR yeah but, well but, I, so I'm not doing that I, I like <laughs> but,
1: the human element that's the thing for yeah. me watching watching the game I, I it's part of the drama to go what what that's definitely a penalty you know that's part of the drama of it i, I don't like that that's been lost and the fact of course of not holding the
4: flag up straight away yeah I mean they're, they're improving that a little bit this season mm. it's still, it's still it's still pretty bad though Johnny is you you're a fan there you're sitting uh at the at the emirates right. And all of you, Arsenal scored a goal, you know, a, a, a brilliant goal, let's say. And all of a sudden, you 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 realise there's a deathly pause going on. The referee's touched his ear. As a supporter, because <laughs> you have no idea what's going on, dear. What how, how do you feel as a supporter?
3: Well, so so that's that's a great point, and it's actually one of the things that I think a lot of people have made about ways to uh, improve VAR and get the fans involved in the process. And I don't think that you'd have the same. Uh, kind of resistance to it. But ultimately, we, you know, I don't think as a fan, I want to sit there talking all day about decisions that have gone against the team when it's blatant, when it's things that are like, no, that's blatantly unfair. This notion that we've been telling our kids for generations, oh, it'll even itself out. Do you know what? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sick of someone telling me this, like, pie in the sky equation, that it evens itself out. I'd rather know the facts. So, I know that it breaks up the game a little bit, and I know that we need to work, find a way to engage fans in the stadium a little bit more, make them part of the whole process. But realistically, you know, the other thing is how many times, which no one ever talks about, before VAR was even introduced, when goals would get scored and the fans would go nuts and then later on they realised there's an offside flag up and then, mm. you know, part of the banter is the fans going, yeah. you know. Sit down, shut up. Exactly. It's a beautiful moment. You so, thought you
1: had scored you, thought scored you had yeah. scored Exactly. Do you well, know what I don't like about it though, Johnny? I see what you're saying, but <clears throat> for me, excuse me, it's inconsistent. There's things that happen that you're watching match of the day or whatever and you or or, or, or live on Sky and you're going oh hold on a second he's just pulled him over over there but we don't pick up on that. So for me the problem is I get what you're saying and I agree it's the inconsistency and the plus of course being a south end fan doesn't really appeal to uh, you know it's not a part of my world but watching it when I'm watching Premier League football of course it's just inconsistencies. That's all it is for me personally.
3: It's definitely uh, it's definitely applied inconsistently and I understand ab- the frustration but Overall, I think it's a positive step towards getting to a place where, you know, it, it shouldn't. What what they've made the mistake for is it was being applied for trivial incidents and it was being over applied, if you like. Mm. Whereas th- some of the crunch decisions, the, you know, we t- we uh, got into this through Clive's goal, which was a, a it, it's not up for debate. It's a non-negotiable. It was a goal. So for those black and white decisions, we need, mm. you know, extra assurances that the right decision is going to be made because it, it, it protects the integrity of the game. What about commentating, boys, when you're commentating on it? How
1: does that affect you uh, guys?
4: It's, it's horrible, Clive, isn't it? Because you, 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 you go up for a goal uh, and, you know, the goal's been given as far as you're concerned and, and you've given it 1-0 or whatever it is and name the player and that's his 16th goal in three games or whatever it is and then and then all of oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it... I
5: think, I think now you, you you also now, I think, um, with the experiences of what's happened over the last couple of years with VARs, as soon as as soon as that referee touches here, as Jonathan says, you know, all right, okay, here we go. It's going to be a change of decision here, and I think that's that's when it that's when it uh, you're then trying to find the reason why that decision has been made. Obviously, you don't see all of all of the, um, the all of what VAR and and the, and the referees and the officials that are looking at it, so. Um, sometimes you're guessing. Uh, sometimes it's pretty obvious, but I think the thing is we're 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 in the dark quite a bit. It, it can be very difficult.
4: Here's one for you on the Tottenham Arsenal theme, Johnny Cochran, Your favourite Tottenham player?
3: I hmm. mean, I, I mm-hmm. could be r- hounded <laughs> out of Arsenal communities for answering this question, but do you know Johnny what? Pratt, Johnny, John
1: Pratt, John Pratt. John Oh, I'll,
3: I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll certainly give this one a go. Um, Pat Jennings. Is, is it all time or currently, do you mean Jonathan? All
4: time in your in your lifetime that you've seen.
3: Um, do you know what? There were it, it, partly because of I actually think I like the way he kind of handled himself, I, and another one out of respect for how good he was. But Ledley King, absolute class, you know, legendary player for Tottenham. But I also thought. You know, he was a a, a big captain But Do you know what? The actual answer is Sol Campbell. Okay, that is... Sol Campbell (laughs) is my favourite. Of course, that's the obvious one, isn't it? I've got Jennings and all that. It's Sol Campbell.
1: (laughs) What a brilliant manager he is. a fantastic
4: manager. Clive Allen, Clive Allen, your favourite Arsenal player of all time. There's been many. I think
5: when you look at the quality of the players that they've (laughs) had, for me, Dennis Bergkamp was was sensational when he arrived, I've got to say that. But for me, I think... uh, Purely because I know him well, I get on with him well. Uh, Ian Wright was the man for me. Ian His Wright goals that he scored—he um, would—he would—he would be one of my all-time greatest Arsenal players. But they've had—they've had
4: many. There's no doubt Ian, about that. Ian Wright, right, right. We were talking about that last week. That—that—that that, that commentary. There was. Um, there's other ones as well. Remember, uh, Johnny. Remember the Paul Mercer. He is magic. He wears the magic hat. Song. I, I used to do that in commentary as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's the person, the Paul Mercer. We they they played away. I think it was um, Liège in Belgium. Is, is a little story for you. And uh, Martin Keown, who I love. I think he, I've, he, there's an intensity about him, but I've, I've got a real soft spot for for Martin. And um, but he has he had this reputation as a player, which is un, unfair, very unfair, of not being. Um, university uh, mastermind, if you get what I mean. And um, anyway, he's pulled me at the right airport. Smart you're trying to say, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's pulled me at the airport. He's come up and he said, "Oi, want to word with you?" And I said, "What's that?" He said, "The players are saying that you're thick. That I'm thick in commentary. You're saying I'm thick." I said, "Martin, I would never ever say that about any footballer. Why would I say that? I think I might have said at one point, Martin Keown, by his own admission, is no rocket scientist." And he's looked at me with those eyes and he's gone, all right, that's fair enough. And turned around and walked away.
1: <laughs> I, do you know, there was a player at South End, I won't, I won't say, let's just say his name was Scott, right? Um, and uh, they were all, the lads were going to Ireland for the weekend. And, and the time, the manage, current manager, Kevin Mayer, was the captain at the time. He said to the lads, right, make sure when we go to the airport, bring something with your face on, you know, like an ID. And this uh, player... He took, the, uh, he took last week's programme, which he was on the front of. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I love working with Martin, though. He's, uh, he's, he's very intense. He doesn't have to do his homework, as Clive does, when he's sat next to me watching, watching, currently, the best footballer in the world. Clive, best footballer you've ever seen? Killian?
5: Uh, I don't know about the best footballer I've ever seen. Currently, the best footballer in the world at the moment. His age, what he's done, what potentially he's going to do as well, could, could well be... Thought of as one of the best ever, but um, at the moment, yeah, best player in the world currently. Definitely, What
1: shame they're playing in such a terrible league. I have to say that. I know you other people will shout me down, but I, I mean, said, to me, uh, Terry, uh, I think that's a, li-
5: it's a little bit unfair. I think that, was it, what was the score? Um, uh, it was, was a 7 1, one of eight <laughs> away victory, yeah. Little little scored, games. Having Leal. scored
1: 5 5 right. in their first and Lil aren't rubbish, are they? No, no, he, no, no real, that's
5: that's what I was about to say. Little side. So the, the, the performance was sensational last night from PSG. Um, and, and one of the problems they have is when they go into Champions League football and they get to the knockout stages and games get tight and they really have to dig mm. deep. They've, they've not experienced that in their domestic campaign during the season, and that's where they get undone. That's where they come. That's, that's mm. when they come unstuck. That they, they, there's not enough games. In the division, in League One, that really make them work and have to dig out. Whereas but City have enough. to do it, Liverpool have to do it, Bayern Munich even in, in in the Bundesliga have to do it in in games where they're tight and they have to really dig deep. PSG invariably they don't ever get themselves into that situation in their in their domestic games, and and I think that cost them in in the Champions League.
3: That that was certainly. a... Um, uh, uh, um uh, an accusation, of, well, no, an accusation is not the right word, but it, it was a, a suggestion about the early 90s United teams and that they would often go out crashing out to teams that they probably were better than, better than on paper, but they weren't getting the same competition in the Premier League and so were coming unstuck early days. And you might say something that supports it is, as the Premier League has grown to be a lot more competitive at the top, you know, English teams have gone on to dominate in Europe uh, at different spells. So, yeah, there's certainly a a credible argument for the more competitive your league is with regards to the top teams, the better your teams will do in Europe because they're, you know, still still hard and steel, isn't it? Also, the uh, the Premier League,
1: the the domestic players, there was 15% when it started were foreign. It's now 57% of foreign players now. So... You could take that into it as well. It's completely changed the Premier League in thirty years. So the standard of players from around the world, you know, say dare I say the better players from around the world are being attracted by the, the Well 100. Terry,
5: what you've got what you've got is the best players from yeah. around the world playing in the Premier League and, and playing in the toughest league. So yeah. not only do they have do they have great ability but, but they they they're having to adapt their game to be stronger, tougher physically, tough mentally, That, that, that the whole situation that, that they put themselves in in the Premier League just makes them better players.
4: Hmm. I wonder how long that, that's sustainable, though, because the TV world's going to change. Uh, there's going to be more streaming. The clubs will move. Almost inevitably, globally, in all sports, towards a club dedicated streaming service, where then the clubs with the biggest global audience will get the biggest right. uh, or, um, the, revenue, the, the biggest revenue in, and 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 therefore, is the whole picture going to change? Are you worried about that, Johnny? As a fan, um,
3: so I mean. I, I would I would maybe come back a little bit on the inevitability of it all kind of thing. And I completely agree with you about the streaming kind of, you'll end up with season tickets like online watching your club kind of thing. But the difference is, is we've always had a disparity when it comes to, you know, income and revenue produced. Just look at United still like finished, you know, they're, they're awful and they're still earning the most. But the fact is, is that we have a bottom, we have a floor, if you like, for how much Premier League clubs are going to earn. And that is protected by the Premier League and the fact that you know your earnings through competition are uh, demarked before this competition even starts. So I still think that if if the what will ultimately be the um, kind of arbiter of this situation will be fan power because they tried to break away with the European Super League and ultimately, and I know this firsthand from the way that Arsenal were dealt with. The fan reaction, the Cronkies and the powers that be were not expecting the visceral reaction to the, you know, the overseers of the club trying to move the club away. They thought that they could act, act with Premier League clubs like they would with American sports teams. And they were told in no uncertain terms, you do not treat our clubs like this. We don't roll like that. And part of it is the spirit of competition that the fans want. We know that it's like the FA Cup, which you know, re- realistically, the way things are moving could and probably should become a bit more of an obsolete competition. And yet it's not, because we still love those games where South End get drawn against Arsenal and yeah. they have their big day out. And yeah, we give them a walloping. Sorry, Tell. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's part sorry. of the competition that we love. And so I do think that it will come down to fan pressure that will stop it becoming a completely closed shop because without the spirit of competition, I don't think fans would engage in English football the same way that they
4: currently do. It's, it's given me some of my great memories. Uh, the FA Cup, I w- went with Bristol City uh, up to Ellen Road in, in the mid-70s, Bristol City, playing the Don Reeves Leeds United, who hadn't been beaten that season. And it was the fifth round. No-one gave Bristol City a hope. They played on the Saturday, drew 1-1 at Ashton Gate. And I was very much... Um, sort of part of the city uh, set up there at, the mo- at that time. We were videoing the game, first club ever to video games for analytical purposes with my dad. We went at Ellen Road on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. The minor strike was on, had to be <laughs> played in the afternoon, no floodlights. No, it's the tie that everyone forgets. And Bristol City won at Ellen Road and uh, the, they, they were drawn against um, shankley's liverpool in the next round shankley came into the dressing room afterwards donny Gillies had scored the only goal he came in uh, don reevey came in said how much bristol city deserved it and then i was sat between ernie hunt and jerry gow who was my mentor my great hero still is my favorite footballer ever and ernie hunt two minutes before the end of the game had ducked into a challenge with lorimer lorimer brought his boot up ernie hunt turns to the referee no teeth Peter Lorimer's <gasps> kicked my teeth out, ref. referee books Peter Lorimer, 30 seconds go down the drain, Bristol City go on to win it. I'm sat between Ernie Hunt and Jerry Gow, half an hour later in the dressing room, I'm 15 years of age, Ernie Hunt's talking away and I can't take my eyes off his teeth. So I've said, how did this happen? Lorimer, kick your teeth out. He said, that's easy, son. Puts his hand to his mouth, takes his false teeth out. And that's the first time I knew that football has cheated. Can't <laughs> can't anyway, so, so then <laughs> Shankly's gone back out and they said, go out. He's outside, he can't get his car out. He's blocked in, go and speak to him. So I went out of my Bristol City gear on and a tie, Bristol City tie and everything. And uh, Alan Dixon, manager, said, Go out and talk to Shanks, tell him who you are. So I went, oh, um, I'm attached to Bristol City, Mr. Shankley, and what did you think? And he's, Aye, son, uh, Bristol City, fantastic, son. And the boy Richie, he was Scottish, fantastic. The boy Gow, he was Scottish, by the way, fantastic. The boy Sweeney, he was Scottish, fantastic. The boy, so and so He, he praised every Scottish player in the Bristol City side. So uh, I've said, and, uh, and what about our chances in the next round, Mr. Shankley? Aye, son, you've no bloody chance. <laughs> so I've gone back into the dressing room. <laughs> And they said, uh, what did he say to you? And I said, oh, Long Tom, he loves you. Jerry, he loves you. Sweeney loves you. He loves all the Scottish boys. What else did he say? Oh, he says we've nay bloody chance in the next round, boys. And I got pelted. I got boots chucked <laughs> out. Here. So I love the FA Cup. And one tie stands out in my mind 1987. How about this for a lineup? Clements, Houghton, Goff, Mabbott, Mitchell, Thomas, Paul Allen, Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle in the same midfield, and Chrissy Waddle and Steve Harry Hodge. And Clive Allen up front, who got his 49th goal of that season, four or five minutes into That was a wonderful final, Clive, wasn't it? What about the story of well, that season? Nice. For,
5: for two minutes, it was a wonderful final, JP. <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> yeah, Wonder- we played Coventry. We, we'd had a great season. David Pleat had come up with this uh, incredible formation of five midfield players. No one had done it before. Glenn Hoddle was given a free roll. We outplayed teams. We scored freely. I, I had the best season of my career. Um, and it ended up, we got to, talking about the FA Cup, magical, magical competition. Always is, always sends a shiver down my spine. My my FA Cup goes back to 1961, two weeks before I was born. I was in my mum's tum at Wembley when my dad won the double for Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, so yeah, when I course. say the FA Cup's in my blood, it's in my blood. I popped out two weeks later, May 1961, with my dad having won the FA Cup, won the league with Tottenham. And, and obviously, um, it was it, it's always been incredible. Semi-final that year, JP, we're at Villa Park, we're playing Watford. Watford had a wine a wine, wine bar goalkeeper because they'd lost two goalkeepers. The magic of the FA Cup, who could be working in a wine bar and he's it, planning in the FA Cup semi-final, third choice goalkeeper for Watford. We go in at half-time, 3-0 up, and my cousin Paul who's played in the FA Cup final at 18 as the youngest player at that time for West Ham against Arsenal in 1980, running around the dressing room, dancing, and he wasn't like that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're three new up in the semi-final of the FA Cup. And Ray Clements, as you rightly said, God, God rest his soul, just looked across. He said, "Ollie, calm down. We haven't won anything yet. We went out, Steve Hodge scored a fourth, we won semi-final 4-0, end up in the 1987 Cup final against Coventry. Massive favourites, second minute in, Chris Waddle skins, Greg Downs, crosses for me. I come flying in, near post header, 1-0 up, 49th goal. I'm going to do it, JP, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get 50 in the season. And the whole thing, and you talk about how sometimes in football, things are not meant to be. It was Coventry's day. And the yeah. one living memory that I have was when the ball flicked up off of Gary Mabbott's leg, having, having put us in front 2-1 going in at half-time, flicked up off of Gary Mabbott's leg, and, and, and literally there was a window in the top right-hand corner of the goal that the ball could go in. Other than that, Clem had it covered. Clem had it. And it flipped up off of Mabsey and it crept into that one little one-foot window, top corner, and we end up we lose three two to Coventry in the in the eighty seven Cup final.
4: Um, I, I went to school um, with Gary. I went to school with Gary and Kevin Mabbett. We both went to school. They both played football at high level. and I just talked bollocks about it for years. <laughs> can, 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 do I remember at three minutes to go, normal time, something like that? You had a chance, and Steve Grisovic just stuck out his leg and saved. Is my memory playing tricks?
5: Yeah, and I also grazed the bar for, for, for the 50th that season as well. I spun and hit one and hit it well, but it just grazed the top of the crossbar. So 50 was never meant to be. And, and winning the FA Cup was never meant to be. Cousin Paul did it. My dad did it. But um, I played in two FA Cup finals, obviously, for QPR against Spurs and then for Spurs against Coventry. Magical, magical experiences, but uh, never quite had that experience of winning it.
4: One, one more for me on that year, because you won the Football of the Year, third in the league, League Cup semi-final. So you, you were up for three and you didn't get three. As you came off that last game at Wembley against Coventry, what does the manager then say to you? What did he say to you after you'd gone so close in all three competitions?
5: Oh, Jonathan, we, what happened was there was absolute um, uh, bed, bedlam because... We had six players who didn't have Holston on their shirts as sponsors. And it was recognised right at the end of the game. And that took over the whole the whole of the proceedings. We were going back to White Hart Lane for, for a banquet on the pitch in a marquee. And as we arrived back at the stadium on the buses, all, all the sponsors, Holston sponsors, got off the bus and disappeared, left the stadium when they were supposed to come in. There was an emergency board meeting. Uh, we waited for about... I'm guessing nearly two hours before the chairman, um, Irving Scholar, came into the marquee and said, and he did brilliantly. He said, "Look, we've had a most amazing season. Sorry for the delay with what's happened with with, with this particular incident with the shirt sponsors. You had an amazing season. I want everybody to enjoy themselves, and I never forget that was a, that was an a, an, an amazing uh, way to to um, react that evening from Irving Scholar. But honestly, it was." It, you know it it, it takes a while you never you never actually get over it you never actually get over it but um yeah that that was the way it was dealt with and people lost their jobs over the um over the the the, the Holston and not being on the shirts but it was the best advertising ploy that anybody could have come up with Mm. without actually without without actually making it happen it made front page news around the world obviously other other beer manufacturers capitalized on it as well but um, yeah, Holston went global because of because of that mistake.
1: Every silver, every silver, uh, cl- no, oh, every cloud, <laughs> <laughs> every silver cloud's got a lining. <laughs> That's mad. But why were the shirts not? Why didn't they have? I mean, I want to know now. Why did they not have? Were they just blood shirts? Were they? Or, or no, what, no.
5: What happened was in on the kit that particular day. The match shirt was laid first on the uh, on on your chair. Then you had a a shirt that didn't have Holston on it, T-shirt to warm up in, tracksuit top. Players went out, some wore a T-shirt, some wore the plain shirt. The main, obviously, FA Cup final shirt, embroidered, was the bottom one. As the players came in from the warm-up, some threw a T-shirt in the skip for wash, some threw the plain shirt in. Some hadn't used the plain shirt. They'd they'd warmed up in a T-shirt. So they instinctively put on the next shirt that was in the pile, which was a plain one, no Holston. Right. And Glenn Hoddle said to me, as we kicked off, we're just about to kick off, and as I looked at him, I said, "Hodd, you don't have Alston on your shirt. He went, Chesney. Chesney was my nickname at the time. Chesney, he said, don't worry about it. We'll have a beer afterwards when we win the game. <laughs> and that was, that was the last it was mentioned, obviously, uh, from the players at that particular time. But no, quite incredible. Uh, it was a genuine, absolutely genuine mistake. Players put shirts on tracksuit tops on, zipped them up. No one knew who had what on, until we, obviously, until we started the game.
1: Well, here's the obvious question. Why Chesney? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I mean, it's the obvious uh, question. Ch- Chesney Hawks was uh, yeah. singing at number one at the time. And one, one, one of the bright sparks in the dressing room said there was a resemblance. So, uh, mm. Chesney. And that was it. That well, was let my me,
1: name. I'll tell you something about Chesney Hawks, right? Yeah? That when they did this thing years and years ago, this TV st- station started called sky right no one had ever heard of this tv station and uh keith chegwin h- hosted uh a talent show on there called sky star search and uh not only did i beat chesney hawks in the semi-final i went on to win the whole thing thanks very much just i was the one and only right yeah. oh, nice. Nice, no one
3: yeah. and only. Uh, Chesney was also seen for this podcast, wasn't he, Tell? And you beat him again, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. That's why I mean. they
1: said Jonathan went to Chesney, When went, will you do it with me? And he went, no, I'd rather do it with Terry. Yeah,
4: Thanks. there you <laughs> go. That's <laughs> what it's going on. Cut memories, Johnny, is an Arsenal awesome fan, you must have a few. tales on the way to Wembley.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well not not great ones though i've never seen us win at wembley even though that we um have won a number of times at wembley which is great but when i um i, I remember quite poignantly the year we played chelsea in the league cup final um uh, this was the year that abu dhabi wonderfully kicked john terry in the face um, <laughs> and uh, oh, I can't stand that guy. But um, well, obviously, yeah. But but basically, it was that era, and we all remember it, where Didier Drogba used to just completely school Philippe Senderos every time he played him. And and like as an Arsenal fan, you had that sinking feeling as soon as you saw the team sheets. You saw Chelsea's team sheet. You saw that name, double D, Didier Drogba, and if you saw Senderos playing, you knew. It was a case closed. We will lose. Drogba will get minimum of one, but made probably two goals. And there was just nothing you could do about it. There was a never inevitability. But that game started well as well. And we we were we took an early lead and we're like, oh, here we go. We're getting something going. I believe it's Theo Walcott's first goal as well. And it was just like, it, you know, a sign of things to come, hopefully. Is he going to be, you know, the the next great hope that we thought he was? You know, and he... He did go on to do well, not quite as high as what we thought he was going to do. But either way, we dared to dream that the kids were going to get it done because it was mainly kids playing that day. Um, And ultimately, in the end, it was just too much. Chelsea's dominance and their experience shone through. And yeah, my dreams were crushed at Wembley and we didn't get the win. But yeah, um, I'm lucky enough to not always have been in the ground to have seen it, but to have witnessed Arsenal win several FA Cups in, in, in recent times.
0: Hey listeners, it's Danny Pellegrino here, host of the Everything Iconic podcast on Acast. If you're an advertiser or marketer, you'll know that real connections make a real impact. So why not let podcasters like me do the talking for you with Acast's self-serve ad platform, Any business can browse and book host-read sponsorships to have your story told by the voices your audience trusts. Explore the largest marketplace of podcast influencers and pick the perfect voices for your brand. And with over 100,000 shows on Acast, there's podcasts that speak to every type of audience, including mine. Build your perfect sponsorship campaign and leave it to us to endorse your brand to our loyal listeners in a way that's authentic, credible, and entertaining. It works too, with 62% of listeners making a purchase after hearing a host read ad and 72% visiting the advertiser's website. So if you're ready to start seeing results, head over to go.acast.com slash sponsorships to launch your campaign. That's go.acast.com slash sponsorships. JPT, the football friendly. I'm going to ask
4: you three now. I know time's tight for Clive. We'll go to him first. It's an either-or, okay? And you've got to give me one, okay? It's an either-or. Clive Allen. Hoddle. Or Ardiles? Hoddle. Why? He made more goals for me. (laughs) Johnny. Bergkamp or Henri. Henri. No question. Look behind about him. It. Look
1: behind him. You can't see this listening, people, but he's got
4: he's got Henri right behind his
3: head. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is, and I, I've done my Arsenal top 25 players of the last 25 years. It was a little web series that we did, and um, Henri did come out top. The simple fact for me is that Henri was, in my opinion, a culmination of the two strikers one that he obviously played with but um one that he ultimately was going to succeed from and that being Ian Wright and Burcamp he had the craft and the guile and the artistry of Burcamp but he also had the clinical you know finishing ability of Ian Wright and he was the complete striker our best ever player and still I would argue the best player the Premier League's ever seen and best car salesman yeah 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 there oh, you go oh, oh, oh.
4: Terry Alderton oh god here we go Tim Vine <laughs> what or Michael McIntyre
1: oh I thought you were going to say to me Steve Phillips or no, Richard ans- Gaudet uh, no you go got answer or, or uh, of course Stan no, Collymore no answer Tim Vine because he's me mate, I can't not say Tim Vine, can
4: I? Talk so with Tim Vine. We did a we had a charity lunch for the Liddy Foundation, our Liddy Foundation, and Terry's always been a brilliant supporter of it. So we've had a lunch, and Tim Vine also supported the lunch that day. So he's come, and afterwards he said, "Come to the pub for a little while." He well, I, I, I can't stay for very long because I've got to go. I won't mention the Lord of the Realm. He was off to see, but he was off to see a Lord of the Realm and a very, very, very famous. Uh, uh, playwright uh, to talk about a future project this was about Terry what was this about 2 o'clock in the afternoon Yeah. so Tim's come for a quick a quick shandy at 2 o'clock in the afternoon about 3 o'clock in the, I've got to go because I've got to go and see so what's his name got a meeting about a future project now stay for another one stay for another one at 8.30 in the evening <laughs> he's phoned up the night of the realm hasn't he and said I can't make it I was, I was um, business me I can't make it so I don't know whether he got that project but uh, <laughs> anyway I know time is tight for Clive because uh, you're off to play uh, what's your handicap Clive? it's 10 at the moment
5: so um, nice game uh, it's, it's tough though I struggle at 10 it's a game I can never master I never will master but I just love the, love the competition of
4: it mm. who's the best who's the best LMA member golfer? Oh, interesting! Uh, uh,
5: there's a there's a few low figures. Lee Dixon is a is a very good player, uh, low player. I know probably Mick McCarthy will be here. He'll smash it a long way, but all over the place. Um, I'm not sure who, who really is the the lowest handicapper, but it's also it's all always fiercely competitive, as you can imagine.
1: Yeah, I remember walking out doing a gig once Football gigs are never my favourite things, to be honest But I remember seeing Mick McCarthy in the front And uh, I went out and did the alright How we doing? All that kind of thing I said, Mick McCarthy, how are you mate? He just looked at me and went, fuck off
3: <laughs> <laughs> But no,
1: he wasn't joking He just looked me in the eye and told me, told me that I was like, right, we'll leave Mick alone then <laughs>
4: I'll tell, you what, we, I'll tell you a great story about me. This sums him up as a person, though. We were in World Cup 2010 in Africa, and we had minders um, to make sure we were okay because uh, some of the areas we were going into were a little bit tricky. Anyway, we had one particular minder who wasn't very pleasant and was a real throwback to the um, years of uh, uh, white domination and apartheid there. And uh, we were entering a restaurant with him, and this, this fella. Turn around and spoke to, there's a black waiter and he spoke to him um, like a piece of dirt. Mick went absolutely berserk with the fella and just said, No, he wasn't accepting it. You don't, you don't speak to human beings like that. You do not speak to people like that. Do not speak to people like that when I'm around. Never speak to people like that. And in fact, and, and, and that's it. We've gone, we've gone from, we, we, you know, he wasn't having a fella. He wasn't having Oh, the fella.
1: right. So I've gone from, he, he's, a, he's a hero now and I've just dissed him.
4: <laughs> I tell you what you wouldn't diss him to his <laughs> face though you
1: I didn't diss him I said
4: know." he told no. me where to go uh, no I, I know
1: I know I, I know what it was like when you're under pressure and a comic comes out with a microphone you're like well the best way to deal with that
4: is just tell you know he's on the phone now actually I'm just sorry I'm just, uh, giving, right, him, I'm, I'm just giving him your address
2: <laughs> anyway you your
4: so uh, one last one for Clive before he goes Most frightening moment in your career. You've told me this story. I don't think it would be association football. You went for the Monarchs, didn't you? The London Monarchs as a kicker. When that first snap came back to you to kick, did you realise the whole opposition side would be running at you to try and kill you?
5: No, no idea whatsoever. Um, It was a a most incredible experience. I'd always watched NFL, thought you know, if I could do anything in NFL, it might be, I could, I could, I could kick the, the oval ball, um, had, had a, had, had some training. I actually initially was working at Sky, Sky covered NFL Europe, which was obviously during the summer was basically all the reserve players from NFL from the season. Didn't get regular time. They were sent to Europe for the summer. Scouts were watching them, but they had come up with this bright idea that they'd have seven nationals with each team one of which would be a kicker. I was in London. I was working for Sky. It all fitted. And a gentleman by the name of Oliver Luck, Andrew Luck's father, Andrew Luck, who just just this not long ago retired, very, very good quarterback. His dad in his time, Oliver, was a great quarterback, was president of NFL Europe. He rings me. American guy rings me on the phone. Hey, Clive. Why not you use a kick for the Monarchs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Who, who is this I'm thinking it's someone from Sky winding me up Jeff Stelling maybe whoever eventually five minutes later, he persuades me right Clive I want you to uh, to kick for the Monarchs something right I'll tell you what I'll do I'll try out but if I'm not good enough I'll know in my own mind whether I can do it or not Yeah, that's fine we'll bring you over to Miami they flew me into Miami went to the um, University of California had a kicking coach from Miami Dolphins everything was great Yep, I can do it. I can kick the ball. I can get it over the sticks. It's a completely different technique. Practice, fine. First game, Stanford Bridge. So five minutes before we're about to go out, I says to the American guy in the, who, who holds for me, "Is the coach going to do a? Um, is he going to do a team talk? Bearing in mind, there's thirty players in one dressing room. There's twenty players in the press room because the dressing rooms at Chelsea weren't big enough. And the guy, yeah, yeah, he will." And he was a he was he was a really really funny guy the coach. Anyway, he calls the teams. All the players come into the one dressing room, jammed in there. So five minutes before we're about to go out, I'm thinking, what's he going to say to all of these guys? Like he can't go into all their individual, uh, all their individual routes, what they're going to do. He says, guys, take a knee. So I said to the guy, what are we doing, taking a knee? He said we're going to pray. So I said, what are we praying for? So he said that we come back alive. And I went, (laughs) are you serious? He went, yeah. He said, we can get killed out there. So, five minutes into the game, we turn the ball over, run it back down, we score a touchdown, PAT, PAT, which is me, point after touchdown, you've got to go on and make the kick. So, bearing in mind, this is the first game in anger that I'm involved in, the first kick I'm ever going to take in NFL Europe. I can't get the button on my helmet buttoned up. <laughs> so I run on. As I run on, I know exactly what I've got to do. I've got this drill. I step off. I point to the spot where I want the ball landed so I can kick it over. As I'm leaning over, I see my holder, right, spot it now. I can't do the helmet up. He said, fuck the goddamn helmet. Kick the goddamn fucking ball. Right? <laughs> so with that, I step off. And when it's snapped back from the centre, you've got literally a split second you have to take off. You have to actually yeah. be moving towards the ball as it's coming back to meet it so that they can't come and block it. I run up to it and I completely hook it. Stanford Bridge, I'm thinking, there's the goal. I'm going to kick it straight through. Obviously, I bend my knee, soccer kick, as they called it. I hook it way out to the left, way over to the left. Like, no, nowhere, no. Near, nowhere near the uprights. No. I go trotting <laughs> off, still trying to pop my helmet. All the linemen and these guys, these linemen, they've been absolutely bashing themselves silly to get you to get the PAT. I'm like, sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. They went, sorry,
0: guys. See down,
1: donkey. You go, no, that's Tony Adams. What are you doing? It's, it's so what... I, had to, I had to go right to the end of the benches
5: and sit right at the other end and wait for about another two games before I got another kick. Oh, my God. It was it's, the most embarrassing thing ever.
3: It's quite timely as well that you, um, you know, are talking about, because I remember when you uh, were doing NFL, I'm a big fan myself, but Harry Kane's openly talked about his love affair with NFL and that he, you know, he genuinely wants to go into it if he could get a, a spot kick in. But I just wanted to ask you, Clive, did you, first of all, did you do the kickoffs and the punting as well for the teams? No, no, right, American okay. guy. Because I, I didn't have I didn't have a strong enough leg for that actually that that was
5: it, it is so specific and, and and so intense on exactly what you do. Thankfully after that I was six for six on my field goals. Nice. So I, I, I won a game I won a game in the Olympic Stadium in um, in Barcelona. I, I won I won against the Claymores in Scotland. Kicked the winning field goal uh, in, um, against the Claymores. Was dancing around like a lunatic in the dressing. American guys going yeah okay. You've kicked the winning field goal, but no, no, no. We've beat we beat the Scots. Obviously, you know there was there was ninety percent of them were were Americans playing for the Claymores, but um, it was a, an incredible experience. But going back to Harry Kane, I think he has the mentality. Certainly, he, he will condition himself. He'll have the leg, and he'll have will have the mental approach that, that is needed to do it. I, I could see him possibly. It, it would certainly try out with an NFL team after his uh, after his football career is finished.
1: That'd be the Spurs that are coming, won't they? Because there's well, no it doubt. could be. It, there's it no doubt, there's no doubt Spurs, they're getting yeah. a franchise. There's no yeah. doubt about it. It's
3: Absolutely, coming. It's coming.
1: It's, that, that is a good shout. What, that is a good shout.
5: What,
3: the thing I was wondering, Clive, was if, for instance, you had uh, within your PAT setup there was a botched, you know, snap, and the ball was live, then obviously there could be a scenario where the opposing team could pick up the ball and be running for an opposing, you know, touchdown or what, whatnot in terms of getting points. Well, and Clyde it would be on you, yeah, at, in that point, to <laughs> potentially have to try to tackle someone who may well be 300 pounds, be able to lift a refrigerator. And I just wanted to know your mentality in that situation. Would you even attempt... They never told you, him. They never told him. I was there the last but
5: one game that's exactly what happened the holder fumbled the ball he tried to pass it it flipped up in the air I've run past him because obviously the ball wasn't there for me to kick but the game's live I did not have a clue what was going on the guy has tried to pass it it got caught by one of the linemen one of these big 350 pounds he's got it under his arm he's running at me and I'm looking at him thinking oh my god you, right, just went, you, you just went you just went I am the one and only. Oh, You're only I can't do it up dead. my helmet I can't
3: do <laughs>
0: my helmet
5: I'm <laughs> dead but what, what happened was all they told me is if ever that happens just literally roll yourself up as a ball and throw yourself at his feet. So <laughs> So I I I tried to do that, but before I could even move, he got hit. When I say he got hit, it was a car crash of epidemic (laughs) proportion, right? And when you hear guys' helmets hitting ribs, helmet on helmet, and there's a pile, there's a pile in front of me, which I then dived on the top of. Obviously, my contribution was nothing, right? But run off holding my left wrist, right? And I'm stopped, stopped my wrist. I'm busting my wrist, I'm busting my wrist what had happened as i've run past the ball when he's fumbled it i've stuck an arm out and i've actually grabbed one of my opponents in the face mask which is the worst over the top break you cuz you can break his break his neck basically it's 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 a, it's the most well it's the worst thing that you could actually do in the game cuz potentially you can break his neck you could kill him i didn't know that i had done it i literally stuck an arm out to protect myself as i'm coming off all the linemen that called me a donkey in the second game of the season was slapping me on the back, thinking <laughs> I like, tried to take this guy's head off.
4: Brilliant. <laughs> well, let's go back because we're coming to the end now. Let's go back to where we started: Tottenham against Arsenal, and it might be—I don't know—top four place, even better. Might be decided by mm. the London derbies, the North London derbies. So, what's your favourite North London derby? Finally, Clive.
5: Ah. Oh. There's been a few. I think um, for me, the semi-finals, which ended up tragically for us, three semi-finals in the uh, the old Milk Cup as it was then. I'd scored in in every game. I won. Scored the winner at Highbury. Come back to to White Hart Lane. Scored. We were one nil up. Um, two goals scored by Arsenal by Tony Adams and Viv Anderson made it level. Third game was played on the Thursday night. We won the toss. We chose to play at home on the Thursday night. Scored six minutes from the end of time. So over the three games, we'd never been behind. And I always say the story I tell is our best player that night went off injured, and that was Charlie Nicholas. He was playing for Arsenal. On come David Rocastle. he scores, and uh, Ian Anderson come on. Sorry, scored. David Rokecastle scored the winner in the 93rd minute. Arsenal go on to win the Milk Cup. With Charlie Nicholas scoring two at Wembley against Liverpool. So for me, that was that was the most memorable North London derbies. Um, but unfortunately, over three games, I'd never been behind until the ninety-third minute, and we lost.
4: Johnny, what's your favourite Arsenal Spurs? Well, surprisingly,
3: um, you know, you'd probably be expecting me to say a game that we won, but it's not a game that we won. We drew but we did win the league at White Hart Lane. There's a song yes. about it. I don't know <laughs> if you heard it, but um, yeah. What an amazing game. Not just, obviously, the main thing being that we won the league that day uh, at our uh, nearest rivals, but it was also a demonstration of the kind of flair and pomp that we were playing with those days. Whatever you say about it, we have had some teams that could give any team in Europe a run for their money at, at, at our peak. But even in those height, highest height moments... We would always play Tottenham, and it's just a, a pick'em game. You never know what's going to happen. Tottenham have beaten us or got points of us when we were miles better than them. And likewise, you know, in more recent times, when Tottenham have clearly been better than us, and we will still run them very close or even beat them. Um, but in that game, we we set about our task with the kind of verve and pomp that you were starting to associate with Wenger's Arsenal at that time, and and I think it was. Kind of illustrated most with the Vieira goal. And it was just such a quick interchange of play. It involved all of our big attacking players, Burkamp letting Henri loose on the wing, just burning pass plays. You could not live with him, cut back, and Vieira just knocking it in. And at that time, you could not think of a more talismanic leader than Patrick Vieira, just Rampaging through the midfield. You can't stick with him. He's too strong. He's too powerful. He's too intense. Wax a goal in. And it didn't even matter that Tottenham ultimately came back to get the draw because the damage was done and we won the league. Mm.
1: I think that's coming through at Palace now, you know,
3: the way that that
1: exactly what you just did beautifully there, Johnny. I feel that his management is starting to come through now like that.
3: He's he's, he's amazing. I think he's going to be a fantastic manager. You know, I mean. Obviously, we're very happy with the way things are at Arsenal now, but, you know, certainly you could see more than a a scenario that Vieira does come back and take over at some point. And and I'd give him every chance of having a really successful managerial career.
4: He will be there. Tottenham Hotspur will be a franchise American football team and they'll wheel Clive Allen out of retirement (laughs) to take the kicks. Clive, it's been a joy having you with us. Thanks, Bob. Enjoy your golf
5: absolute pleasure thank you very much gents. have a good day
4: thanks for coming on Clive
3: thanks for coming thank you, on us, Johnny
4: thanks ever so much for coming on all the best for Arsenal and your podcast this season yes. thanks for coming thanks, on thanks
3: Johnny thanks for having me guys pre- I've enjoyed it
4: thanks very much for everyone for joining us please uh, tell your friends about us nice one Jonathan where are you the weekend by the way I'm at Arsenal Fulham Terry on Saturday and then I've got a French game on Sunday for PT which is Monaco against PSG which should be an absolute belter Okay, I think I'll just walk
1: around crying in my
4: pants. Join us again for JPNT, the football friendly.
1: And don't forget, you can get us on Twitter as well at JPNTFootball. Ta-ta. Thanks for joining us.
0: A podcast from producer Paul.co.uk.
2: Acast makes it easy for any business to browse and buy host-read podcast sponsorships through our self-serve ad platform. With over 100,000 shows on our network, we have podcasters that speak to every type of audience, from huge names like Mark Marin and Brooke DeVard to niche shows with hyper-engaged listeners. Discover the largest podcast influencer marketplace and pick the perfect voices for your brand to start seeing the results of truly authentic influencer marketing. Head over to go.acast.com slash sponsorships to launch your campaign.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered
0: Chumbacasino.com.
3: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
3: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy.